0: And welcome to Cult Movie Cult, where we watch and discuss the horrific, the obscure, and the flat-out strange from the other side of cinema. I'm Mark Dickerson. And I'm Jeremy Fink. And with us today is a special guest, Dan, my brother. (laughs) What's up, Dan? Hello.
1: All right. So this is the final installment in our series, After the Bomb, sci-fi movies of the 1950s. And today, we'll be discussing 1958's The Blob. the blob it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor right through the door and all around the wall a splotch a blotch be careful of the blob beware of the blob it creeps and leaps and glides The Blob is an independently made 1958 American sci-fi horror film produced by Jack H. Harris, directed by Irvin Eworth, and written by Kay Lineker and Theodore Simonson. The Blob tells the story of a teenager, played by Steve McQueen, and his date for the evening, played by Annette Cousseau, fighting an amorphous gelatin blob from space that has crash-landed on Earth and consumes every living thing it comes across, and grows in size with each thing it devours. Yes,
0: very American, very quintessential 50s horror, I would say. Um, Still sci-fi though, but we're definitely veering more towards the horror genre with this one, I would say. Uh, Which in some way, this film, Jeremy, I would say, feels like the culmination of all the films we discussed in the series so far. And at the same time, it's something very different. This doesn't actually deal with any radiation or anything atomic. Uh, It just deals with an alien life form, which is something new to the series. But in a lot of ways, there are many of the same types of fears and similar ideas at play here, similar fear of the unknown, especially. Uh, would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think the fear of the unknown, um, kind of the strange science, not that this is coming from, as a lot of the other films have talked about, coming from nuclear experimentation, but just kind of things that we don't understand their their inner workings. We don't understand what stops them, what we mm. have to do to take them on, um,
0: this is maybe the epitome of that. It's just yeah. a it, it, yeah, it's it's it, 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 it. substance. L- last
1: time we you know, we talked about fiend without a face and this is it, yeah. it this isn't it doesn't no face, no body, no mm-hmm. no this no no discernible abstract, body say. parts. It, it's it's yeah. the blob. There there's nothing else to it. it. it.
0: <laughs> and like Fiend without a face, it's also part of the Criterion Collection as well. Yes. Uh uh well Dan, our our guest, we want to bring you in here and uh you know You're a big movie guy. I know that. No one else knows that. But you also make films yourself and, uh, you know, was probably partly responsible for getting me into movies as well uh, when we were younger. So I know that you've you've you have seen this before, correct? This Yes. Yeah. And what what are your, you know, I guess just general thoughts and feelings about this one, the original blob? Um, I was surprised by how much it felt like um, very like a had a very classical feel to it. Like a lot of uh film films from that time, Americana yeah, which is interesting because of the low budget it had, yeah, um, very low budget, yeah, actually, yeah, um yeah it's it definitely has that feel, um where it's almost like American graffiti kind of yeah they, they actually do almost drag race, I guess at one point, yeah, yeah, I was gonna um, say, like the teenagers are straight out of like rebel without a cause almost mm-hmm. yeah. And and like those movies that are you know always played by older I Steve McQueen was what, twenty eight <laughs> I, I believe yeah. he was twenty eight years yeah. old playing yeah. maybe sixteen, seventeen. <laughs> right. Uh although this is one of his earliest film roles. Mm-hmm. Um so I think yeah, we just sorry to interrupt, but I think it also yeah. has like um the kind of distrust of authority that Rebel Without a Cause has. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, the like the police can't save anyone in this in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> although the one, yeah, the one sergeant I guess towards the end starts to believe him a little bit more. But yeah, for sure, I would say for most of the movie, uh, the police are seen as kind of like this outside entity and not really helping them. And I mean, no one believes them really, but especially the police mm-hmm. uh, are, are really no help in this one. Yeah, um, no, no one believes the young young people. Yep, yep, that's how it goes in many of these movies. Uh, but yeah, so this one, uh, just we, we can't really talk about it without, uh, well, at least I really want to talk about the opening credits, uh, yes. the title song of the movie. We have talked about the credits of all these films that we talked about in the series and how great they all are. This one is extremely 180, <laughs> very different than yeah. anything in the other films, but also extremely and tonally different than anything in this film itself the film that we're about to watch. <laughs> um, and there's a reason for that, actually. In fact, it was kind of the point. Uh, apparently, the song was made to kind of let people know in the beginning that, hey, this isn't going to be too scary. We're no. going to just have, uh, we're going to have a good time with this blob. We're going to dance around and, I don't know, not exactly <laughs> sure what they're going for. It's like a beach party song, kind of, but it's a great song. I mean, I love it. I, I listened to it probably five times before we even recorded today. Well, and um, I,
1: think, I think that this song that we get right at the beginning is one of the things That has made this film so enduring Um, because this is a film that even if you don't really know movies that well, you've probably heard of it. Um, I I know for me, some
0: ways it kind of brings it in into that cult territory, even right right from the start. Exactly. Yeah. And
1: it's something that kind of made it just like hang around a little bit more. I'm looking at it now. It looks like that song actually. So it was written by Burt Bacharach, um, which is one of the fun Burt Bacharach. Fact for all of the <laughs> Burt Backrack fans out there. For all you fans out there, a really difficult sentence to say. <laughs> Burt Backrack fact, um, but it peaked at number thirty three on the Billboard chart, which is not bad. That's mm-hmm. that's a pretty no, solid that's, tune. That's up there. Yeah, uh, that that's up there, and and that's the kind of thing where like you get a song that goes like that. That probably hung around as long, if not longer, than the movie. And mm-hmm. you know, you got to think, especially we're talking about nineteen fifty eight. You know, some a song that is hitting thirty three on the chart is being played on the radio a lot. So so it is one of those things where I do think that the song probably, you know, the movie in its own right, obviously, is a cult classic, but I think that the fact that yeah. this song got this kind of airplay and hung around, I think definitely is one of the things that contributed mm-hmm. to this this one sticking around
0: in Brought such a way. Brought it to the next level. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What do you think, Dan? I know you love this song, so. <laughs> <laughs> I love all Bacharach. Yeah. <laughs> big, he's a big Bacharach fan. You're this a Bacharach one. guy. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, this song is just, I mean... Even just taking taking on its own, it's like it has its own life sort of, and I'm sure it gets played on many, uh, you know, Halloween mixes and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's that other element to it, which is just really cool uh, right off the gate. Um, and again, it was made to be non-threatening. It was made to kind of let people know that you know they they should hang around and watch this movie it's not going to be too scary cuz i guess at the time they were kind of worried about that and jeremy like you mentioned this was 1958 which is actually the same year as the last two films that we spoke about uh fiend without a face and also attack of the 50 foot woman so big year for these kinds of movies uh so just to go into like a, a little brief uh, synopsis of kind of what what occurs in the film so it starts with an old man uh, played by Olin Howland, which he was also in Them, actually. He also appeared that briefly is. in that film. So another little connection there. Uh, he finds an impact crater of a small meteorite. Uh, sorry, a small meteorite. And within that, uh, the meteorite actually cracks open. The outer shell breaks open. And we see the inner substance eking out and it actually crawls onto the man's arm. And this is the first time we get a glimpse of what the blob is. And that's right off the bat, too. I mean, this is the very first scene of the movie. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was a really effective opening, actually. It really uh, gets you right into the movie. How did you both feel about that opening? It's interesting to see a, a familiar face. Um, yeah, Kind he's, of scattered with all the um, the no-name mm-hmm. actors. Yeah, I feel like he was... Well, this is actually the very last film he was in, I believe. Wow. He passed away right after this. Um, so, yeah, and he's, he was kind of a veteran of these types of films. And like I said, he showed up in, in one of the movies we talked about in this series. Them and I'm sure he's he was kind of in I think some other cult films as well, so yeah, it was interesting starting off with him. And but just the whole atmosphere of that first scene I thought was very uh appropriate, I guess I would say, just you know, completely unexplainable. Something literally crash lands uh from outer space, um, and that's how we start off. And then from there, we go, uh, we meet our main characters. Um, well, actually, even before that, we do see the main characters of uh, Steve McQueen, uh, again around 28 years old, playing a teenager. Um, also Steve named McQueen. Steve. <laughs> yeah, also yeah, <laughs> playing Steve Andrews. Uh, and so this is Steve McQueen's, like I said, first starring role and uh, the main hero of our film. And he, along with his girlfriend, Jane, they're, I guess, they were probably supposed to be smooching in the car. I don't know. They didn't really mm-hmm. show anything. I guess it was part of the code at the time. But um, they're in the car together and they spot something falling from the sky. And that's when we we see what, uh, what that is. And... Um, Also, sort of, you know, I I mentioned quintessential 50s. This is kind of like the quintessential 50s opening. I I felt like uh, the two teenagers in the car together Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and sort of like a a horror trope that we'd see again and again after this film and and before this film also. Um, And so, like I said, he's the main hero of the film. And so him along with his girlfriend, Jane, um, and Dr. Hallen as well, they try to figure out what this alien life form is and perhaps more importantly, how they can stop it. And um, I know Stephen Queen is a, a, you know, a huge movie star. He was, wasn't actually in too many f- films, but the films he was in mm-hmm. were, you know, pretty, they were classics and up there as some of the all time greats. So um, it is cool to see him in his, his first big role here. Uh, and his character is seen as straight laced and I guess square mm-hmm. compared to the, the ruffians he's hanging around <laughs> with these <Yeah>. other characters. <laughs> go, go into the spooky shell. Yeah, the spooky show. I want to talk about. That. <laughs> yeah, they're all, but they're in. You know, trying to get into some trouble, and uh, he's he plays it pretty straight though. I guess he's because he's supposed to be the hero of the film. Um, very concerned. He's very concerned about everything. He wants to get to the bottom of this. Yeah, and his trusty girlfriend is side, um, and you know. So this the runtime of this film, Jeremy, a little bit longer than mm-hmm. a couple of the other ones we talked yeah. about. This. <laughs> yeah, it's a you know, it's around an hour and a half, hour 26 minutes, mm-hmm. so pretty standard here. Um but it moves. It's you know, it goes yeah. from one scene to the next and um another notable scene that we come to is the body of the old man once he's been I guess taken over or consumed by this being. He's on an e- examination table and this is I, w- I would think like one of the first big scenes of the movie where um at this point he is completely absorbed by the blob and um then actually the nurse is uh, she tries to throw acid on it as it tries to move and kind of creep around and she is also consumed although this is off screen which is something that happens frequently in the movie a lot of the action, a lot of the horror is off screen um, and we see also this is when we first see that it has started to grow this entity, this pulsating you, you really can only call it a blob I guess there, there's no other real name <laughs> it's just it's kind of yeah. perfect
1: the perfect name for this film is there's yeah. nothing else they could have called it
0: Apparently they were going to call it the glob. um, And for legal reasons, they couldn't do that. But I think the blob is just perfect. Much better. Much, Um, much better. Yeah. More memorable. Um, So, yeah, we see it. It has started to grow. And we see, like, there's some, like, shots of its shadow. And it kind of, there's one shot of it kind of rolling into view. And that's the first time that we really see it in all its glory. (laughs) And um, eventually it overtakes the doctor himself. And uh, this is witnessed by Steve through the window. And again, this is almost all off screen, mm-hmm. but we do see the, we do see some quick shots of the blob itself and, um, see just how much it's grown already. And when the doctor is being consumed by the blob, there's actually more footage of this death that was actually cut out of the film, um, which happens a couple times. Um, have you seen this footage actually, uh, Dan or Jeremy? I uh, have the not. Ext- the, no, uh, not. um, deleted footage of this film. Okay. Um, I think I did a while ago, but I, I so it really does to show him actually being engulfed by wow. this blob and um which I guess was considered too violent or too obscene at the time of the movie's release um so I don't know how do you, do you think the movie loses something from not seeing those types of scenes, or do you think it's still just as horrific not seeing it i mean how do you guys feel about that I
1: think it kind of adds to the mythology of it all not seeing it, you know you just just yeah. imagining how. Because the th- question don't I even... always had, I guess, watching this movie, and I think I, what I love so much is that you don't ever really get an answer how it happens, is how mm-hmm. these people are transformed from people into part of the blob. You know, how how the, the, the makeup yeah, of a human of body becomes mm-hmm. like, gelatinous. And I think yeah. if, if we saw too much of it, you would as you're watching the film, you might start to ask too many questions. But mm-hmm. I think that one of the, the lovely things about this film is that you, you really don't have to question it. It it kind of just shows up and you're you're along for the ride and it doesn't really. Yeah, it's ask like the song. You, to,
0: you just kind of yeah, kind of groove to it. Yeah, so. it's,
1: it's not really asking you to think too much about. As opposed to some of the other films we discussed, this one's not really asking oh. you to think about the science at all. Yeah, like they, they, you're right. they, there's you're no right. real examination of outer space. <laughs> like no. people are just like, oh, there's a meteor. That's cool. Like no one even seems that thrilled or weirded out by the fact that all you're this right, is yeah. happening at the same time that a meteor has just landed. Um, yeah, it, it I, really I like kind like the, of ignores the, it.
0: Yeah, the meteor is like long forgotten by the end of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Which, yeah, I forgot until I just read my note there. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, yeah it, it's, it's an it's, alien uh,
1: film, but it doesn't really get into that at all. Which I think is is mm-hmm. one of those things that makes it kind of light and fun. Um, mm-hmm. It's just you, you're not, you're not sitting there pondering the meaning of all of this. You just understand mm-hmm. that it's kind of fun watching this there. unknown yeah. thing take on a small town and it's also just fun watching these characters the the in my opinion these are kind of more interesting and entertaining characters than a lot of the ones you see in these kind of sci-fi movies Mm -hmm. particularly you know and it helps i think and has been helped over time by the fact that steve mcqueen became such a big star because Mm -hmm. when we're watching it you're not just watching some you know random B movie actor who this is the only thing you ever see them in. You're seeing yeah, someone yeah. from the Magnificent Seven. You're seeing someone from the Great Escape <laughs> taking on the Blob, yeah. which, which Boy, really yeah. yeah, it really adds to this this sense of like uh, mm-hmm. like grand. Mm-hmm. It's, it makes it kind of grandiose, but in a really comical offbeat way.
0: Yeah, I and I definitely agree. I didn't really think of that until you said it, Jeremy. But this has almost little to no explanation of anything, mm-hmm. and a lot of that is because. The characters themselves don't know. They don't know, yeah. About what's going on, like you know, the main character saw something in the sky that crash landed, but that's about it. That's all they know, really. Um, so, um, yeah, that's really it, you really are just along for the ride. It's like this thing it, is here, and now we have to kill it. <laughs> yeah, and it, it gives it more impact when it starts to starts to grow larger, yeah, and you start to see because you more. don't know. Yeah, you don't know what to expect. Whereas with the movie them, we you know when we talked about that movie, there's actually a, a whole PowerPoint scene. <laughs> we called it uh, where he's kind of talking procedural. about the, sci- <laughs> the scientist is talking about the ants and, and uh, we've learned about ants as you know, and that has its place. But I think yeah. in this type, in this type of film, I think it does work really well just to kind of be a ride that we go along with yeah. and discover things along with them and, and stuff like that. So um, yeah, definitely. Um, so it's a little different in that regard as well. And uh, so eventually Steve, the character, Steve uh, convinces the police to come, Check out what's going on, and uh, once the scientist or the doctor has been engulfed by this being, and they of course are very skeptical, like you said, Dan. That everyone's pretty skeptical of, of what's going on and what the, these crazy kids are talking about. <laughs> um, and eventually, Steve and Jane meet up with their friends at the Spooky Show. Good old Spooky Show. At The Picture House. Uh, at the at the Picture House. To tell them tell them what's going on. So they go to this movie theater. Uh, side note: This movie theater is the. The uh, is it the Colonial Dan? Or yeah. Like, I don't get it wrong. Yeah, Colonial Theater in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, which All is very right. close to where me and my brother are from. Actually, um, that's great. And the down, I think it's the Downingtown Diner they go to after this. So yeah, a little bit of a local scenery there. We've act- I think we've actually both been to that theater, Dan. Mm-hmm. Um. So, but anyway, so they go to this theater and um, they also we we see the so the the blob at this point has gotten into a grocery store and that's where they track it. Uh, where the main character Steve and Jane tracked the blob and where we really get to see just how big it's gotten at this point. <laughs> and it tries to attack them and it also ekes under the door and sneaks out. And by this by this point, the whole town has become aware of, of that something is going on. Again, no one really knows exactly what's going on, but they know something is happening. And they even sa- sound the air raid sirens at this point and a large crowd forms to where Steve tries to warn everybody about the danger, about how the blob has grown. And at this point, finally, the police lieutenant, uh, especially, actually does believe him now at this (laughs) point. (laughs) And they start to try to take action. But at this point, it's a bit too late because there's that famous movie theater scene, probably the most iconic iconic theme, theme, sorry, probably the most iconic scene in the movie, Mm -hmm. where the blob ekes into the projector room through a vent and it rises up and engulfs the projectionist. And again, mostly unseen. I think this is another one of those deleted scenes, actually. Um, until we see just how big it has gotten and it overtakes the entire projection room and eventually Mm -hmm. even the theater itself. So it actually squeezes up against the glass and breaks through and this results in the iconic scene of the fleeing patrons running from the entrance of the movie theater. Um, And that's actually reenacted, I think, every year. Right, Dan? uh, They they hold a a blob festival. We (laughs) wanted to go the one year. I don't think we actually ended up going, but um, they reenact that scene. So everyone runs out of the theater. Um, And the patrons escape into the local diner where they take refuge and where Steve and Jane also are and you can this is our our climactic scene of the movie so pretty short movie (laughs) Um, you can see it forming on the outsides of the windows uh, through matte paintings which is pretty cool little use of uh, matte paintings there and slowly trying to make its way in and the police is the police has a plan have a plan to drop a power line on it and our heroes hide in the cellar as the plan takes place and Officer shoots off a power line, falls on the blob, and electrify it electrifies it, but it keeps going. And at this point the diner is now on fire. So things have gotten pretty <laughs> dire. It actually is very close to ending on a, sort of a down note, actually. Yeah. Um, if something doesn't happen in these last couple of minutes, which of course it does. Uh, the characters pretty much prepare to die, actually. It's kind of like interesting. They all kind of like <laughs> yeah. they huddle it together gets very like well, I guess Yeah, like I guess this is it. Like <laughs> um, So they're getting ready to be engulfed either by this entity or by the fire until Steve realizes that they have a fire extinguisher and that that fire extinguisher has CO2 or just, you know, quote-unquote cold (coughs) that kills the blob. So cold kills the blob. And the police and townspeople, they grab every fire extinguisher they can find and use it to fight off, fight back, and, and defeat this blob. So they freeze it solid, and the blob is now huge and frozen, and what do they do? They take it to the Arctic, <laughs> or something. Is <laughs> the, act- the actual quote? Take it to the Arctic or something. Drop it where it will never thaw out until and, global uh, warming hits. I was well, that's what I was getting to. Yeah, the blob the is last- coming back, the- folks. The, the blob is, is yeah. coming back because they actually say they say it's not dead, just frozen. because yep. they can't kill it. They don't know how to kill it. So they say like we're safe as long as the Arctic stays cold, and mm-hmm. that's the end of the movie. Which oddly. <laughs> oddly prescient yeah. of uh of them so, so get yeah. ready <laughs> a little foreboding there <laughs> i don't know how we're doing on that front but yeah that was uh especially ominous i would say even more than they intended yeah. at that time yeah so that's the end of the movie though um so they freeze it solid and that's how they uh get themselves out of this and uh do you think it's a appropriate ending to the movie that they just kind of freeze it
1: yeah i don't i don't know where else you can kind of go with it you know it's i, I don't think you really can. yeah I, I think it's better um, at least they personally, I thought it was cool that they, they don't kill the blob. You know, it's, yeah. it's not one of those I do things like that. Yeah. I think a lot of the time, you know, you, you see sci-fi movies or, or horror movies. And, and, and what's cool is, you know, you think about, like, Michael Myers. And, like, Michael Myers, pretty much, you know, spoiler alert, my apologies if you haven't seen Halloween. <laughs> but a lot of the time at the end of Halloween movies, he kind of, he, he dies, quote unquote. But then all of a sudden, yeah. he'll be gone. And it kind of opens up the door. For him to come back, and he's kind of like this ultimate villain that can never be killed. And I think The Blob is kind of the same way because of this ending where it's not the kind of thing that you can kill. It's just you kind of got to just have to put it somewhere else and hope that it doesn't yeah, get stronger. Yeah, just put it where back.
0: no one can see it. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Jeremy, even in this series, we talked, uh, we talked about Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And they they kill you know destroy the creature at the end of that movie and of course he comes back for many many sequels yeah and uh, you know and even in Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman they are able to kill her at the end so yeah even though they're dead they're never really dead but it is interesting to see them try to take a different route with this one and try to um, have a a sort of a different kind of solution to it. But also much like those other films, Jeremy, uh, that we've seen in this series, once the threat is neutralized, the movie's over. They don't linger. They just Mm kind of, they don't overstay their welcome. That's for sure. They kind of just end the movie. Uh, But that's something that we saw in, in pretty much all of these movies. Once the the creature or the big baddie was, was gone. Uh, the movie's over. So it's just so um, cool. I don't know. I, I kind of love it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm a fan. Yeah. Uh, you know, why, why linger? Why, you know, there's no reason to overstay your welcome. Yeah. And that's part partly why all these movies are pretty short too, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. Um, so you can see echoes of this movie in countless other films. I mean, this is a hugely iconic film, much like Godzilla that we talked about. Um, so I kind of like that we're beginning and ending the series with really big movies, um, in this genre and, and, just really big cult films also. Yeah. Um, but Dan, how do you... I mean, what, uh, to ask you first, I guess, how do you feel about the legacy of this movie? Like, do you think it's um, well-regarded for a reason? I mean, how do you feel about it and uh, just kind of the general, you know, how you how you view the film? Um, I actually was wondering why it is... Why why do you guys think it caught on so much? In its day, even. Well, Jeremy, you want to... Yeah. Like so, so one
1: thing that I was thinking about, and I'd love to hear from both of you what your thoughts are, the, the question that kept popping up in my mind as I watched this film is, what is this movie about? You know, like, like and, mm-hmm. and, and, and that can be interpreted, you know, either as, what is it about, you know, on an ideological level? But for me, I, I kind of meant it more in a literal, like, what, like, what is the focus of this film? What is the main thing it's about? And I realized that, for me, this film was really about American teenagerdom. It wasn't really yeah. about the blob. It, it, you know, yeah. it's like even... I mean, you have your, your opening theme song, but the first shot of the movie, Mark, as you mentioned, is a couple of teenagers, you know, sitting in a car, making mm-hmm. out. And, and I think that that's really the thing that the movie's about. We get these kind of really quintessential aspects of teenage life, you know, kind of hanging out with your friends, driving in the yeah. cars. You know, like you said, like almost like an American graffiti or, or something like that, and and I think that that, for me, is the thing that has made it endure so well. It, it's not, you know, I mean, the, 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 the monster and all of that are, are really interesting, and I think that it's also just this idea... You know the name too and and just the concept in general like the blob it sounds like the a blob. ridiculously silly thing yeah um, but but I think the fact that it's really a movie that's about teenagers which is something that you know I mean we've we've seen it before this film and we, we've seen it countless times after particularly with the slasher films you know of the very late 70s and early 80s where the the teenagers are the central characters in some kind of horror but very rarely is the film actually about being a teenager it's normally yeah. about the the horror of it all, but this one I think what, what what has made it kind of hang around so long is the fact that you it, it really just focuses on on I don't want to say the fun of being a teenager, but kind of the problems you face of being a teenager. Nobody listens to you, yeah. You yeah know, say no one listens. You, you your friends are a little bit incompetent, you know. You, yeah. you you're trying to manage a relationship and you're trying to manage, but at the same time you you might be dealing. Always with trying to problem. get you to
0: come to the. Yeah, they was trying to get you to come yeah. to the spooky show at the picture <laughs> house. Your, and, your
1: parents are grounding yeah. you. It's not. It's not that they're not just. They're just not believing you. Like they're straight up prohibiting you from taking care of business. Yeah. And it's like, they're like, mom, I'm 28 years old. Come on, yeah, let me out of the house. But but I, <laughs> but I think all of those things made it probably at the time something that teenagers would go see. And you know, yeah, it was yeah. funny, but it was funny and it was scary but it was something where they probably watched it in the same way that they would have watched Rebel Without a Cause and said, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. like that feels closer you to my life myself. than these other procedural horror mm-hmm. yeah. films. that
0: yeah. A little more surface level, a little more relatable. Yeah, mm-hmm. Even um, just the fact that they're in a theater watching a movie. like yeah. Oh, yeah, it's very very meta in that moment, for mm-hmm. sure. Which, um, um, that scene was also featured in John Landis' first film, Schlock. Oh, right. Well, that's, there is a connection there. Uh, one of the producers on this film um actually let me get his name because was it harris it was harris yeah jack so jack h harris uh produced this film and before this he had produced schlock, uh, schlock dan which is one dan really lo- loves that film we watch it together <laughs> um also dark star which we've talked about on this film for our lo-fi sci-fi series and also equinox which is a great yeah one of my uh, favorites re- one of yeah me me and dan love that film as well it's what it's a. Uh, super low-budget, like, uh, student-made sci-fi fantasy kind of film. I was actually thinking uh, about it a lot while watching this. Yeah, kind of has the same feel. So there's a reason for that, apparently. Um, So, Jeremy, you you mentioned this film is about teenage life and things like that, and I definitely agree with that. And to me, it's also about fear. Uh, It's about fear of the unknown, which... You know, we try not to bring current events into this too much, but we 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 keep touching on it because it's on the top of our minds. This this series is is too perfect. We couldn't not think about it. It's a pandemic we're in right now with coronavirus, and we're kind of on lockdown and in quarantine. So, watching these types of films and especially this film just felt really Mm -hmm. like on the nose, sort of. Um, And so, if if only the uh, fire extinguishers worked. I know. Yeah, really. Yeah. If that was a solution to all our problems. Give everyone a quick split, And and, uh, there is something like just so simplistic about this movie uh, too, because it is just this entity that you, you don't know what it is and everyone is scared of it. And, but on on a certain level, it's like almost therapeutic because it could be anything. You could project any, any kind of fear onto that. Yeah. Um, And I think that's also part of what makes this film so lasting and so revered and, and, um, you know, an inspiration on many other horror films to come. And because it is truly hor- horrific, I would say, even more than sci-fi, even though it is an alien entity, um, there's a lot of horror in the film. And, you know, we've talked before in the series about uh, different abstract entities, even. We've gone from monsters and, and giant insects to really abstract, uh, you know, actual, <laughs> in Fiend Without a Face, uh, these invisible beings and then crawling uh, brains and spinal cords that attack people but this is something else entirely it's mm-hmm. kind of the point of the whole thing I think it's um, this alien life form that is so foreign and so unexplainable to the residents uh, of this town that and that's where the horror comes from um, so it's a bit more psychological in that regard just a little bit um, and there's you know then some of the films we talked about at least I would say in the series Would would you agree with that though
1: yeah yeah absolutely yeah um, yeah, and yeah. I, I think it's so cool that it does just become this, this kind of pure abstraction. There's just, yeah, there's nothing concrete about what's happening in this.
0: Yeah, it's it's literally like jelly-like. <laughs> yeah. uh, this this creature. So just a collection yeah. of all of your fears. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's that's kind of what it is. Um, whether or not they were going for that or not. Yeah, that's what it ends up being. Um, so I did want to talk about. Uh, the effects a little bit just focus on those for a little bit because we we try to do that for each of these movies and uh, the blob itself it was created with a a modified apparently a a modified weather balloon in the Mm -hmm. early shots and then in the later shots they used colored silicone gel and some of the shots like I mentioned there was the the matte drawings or matte paintings um, as it really increased in size and they weren't, I guess, sure how else to portray it at that point. Because <laughs> it's very noticeable when they use it. <laughs> yeah, right. And there are, you know, this use of miniatures and things like that, mm-hmm. particularly in the movie theater scene and the diner scenes toward the end mm-hmm. when the blob has really grown. Um, so there's a little bit of mixture of effects here, and I thought it was pretty effective. <laughs> uh, what, do you, how you know do you guys what they made up? it out of? Um, well, it's a mixture of... Well, there was red dye involved, I know that, <laughs> and silicone pretty much was like the... Uh, a mixture of those. And I guess maybe some other things were thrown in, but um, it's actually never dried out, which is kind of interesting. It's kept uh, to this day in the original five gallon pail that it was. I guess, oh, wow. Sh- so it's still alive. The, the, the blob actually, has yeah, never... it's still, it actually still lives. Um, uh, so yeah, I think, I think one of the things that's cool
1: about the effects in this movie um, that, that makes it work particularly well is that you don't know what it's supposed to be like, you know, it's like, like you look yeah. at like, Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman or Fiend Without a Face. Like we kind of know what a, uh, I mean, we definitely know what a woman looks like, and we know what a large woman would look like. So we can, we can kind of tell when it's off. And same with like a brain, you know, floating around. Whereas this, like, yeah. it's hard to critique the effects in this because we 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 don't know what a blob is supposed <laughs> well, to look like. You know, yeah, there's nothing to there, compare it to. It, right, it works because it can't not work. It's it's a moving blob, you know. It's like it, it might it, it might be if it scares you or not, but like in terms of being believable, I don't I don't know at least for it me I could have I,
0: used actual jelly and it probably would have been just as effective. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really could have been anything. Yeah. And the shots are really quick too. I mean, you don't you don't linger on any of these effect shots for very long at all, um mm-hmm. which helps, I would say. Absolutely. Um and I was also in- interested to learn that this was independently produced, which I wasn't aware of. Yeah. So it was picked up by Paramount Pictures eventually. Um, and that was for use on the bottom half of a double bill with Paramount's other production. I Married a Monster from Outer Space, which which also came out in 1958. And so, uh, but eventually the, the early marketing test for this, and I guess the initial book- bookings they did, it showed that this, film was doing much better and a larger share of the audience and the ticket buyers were going to see this film rather than the the top build picture Mm -hmm. um so this became the main feature and and as a result of that more money was spent on its promotion and things like that so that's also part of the reason why it it much like the blob grew and grew and (laughs) and, kind of became what Sorry for that, but, you know, I had to make that comparison at some point. Uh, It grew and grew until it became what it is, which is The Blob, which, yeah, by any other name, I mean, it it just is is its own entity. And it was, um, it was, there was a remake in 1988 as well, which the same producer, Jack Harris, did, um, he also produced that one as well. Uh, And that movie is completely different. Uh, And Jeremy, I don't think you've seen that one. I have not seen that one. Dan, have you seen the remake? I haven't you haven't seen it um yeah it's very much um how do i put this i don't want to say doesn't uh, it have like a face it, <laughs> it's a lot more extreme i guess i would say uh it really goes for it it goes for broke which i actually kind of like because it really differentiates itself from this film mm-hmm. you know this this one's from 1958 and then so 30 years later 1988 they made the 80s version of this yeah. which is it's it's very it's extremely gory um, it's just really over the top um so I think in its own right it it is a cult film in its own way, that remake mm-hmm. and a lot of it's very you know that 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 one is very well regarded as well a lot of people enjoy that movie um I think it's just extremely different than this one. They kind of took that basic idea of the blob and then they just turned it up to eleven so um that one is is worth checking out if you're just kind of into those kind of more gory um it has that feel to it, where it's just very kind of sleazy and not at all the fifties wholesome teenagers <laughs> no. or anything like that. So, um, so very different, but worth checking out in its own its own right. And um, so, the credited director on this film is Irvin S. Yeworth, Jr. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, who didn't do too much other than this. He did did do some other horror films um, around the same time. But there's also an uncredited director on this film, Russell S. Dalton Jr. And he has a pretty interesting story. He became a religious film director and producer, um, Christian films, I believe. So that's just an interesting, uh, I guess, path that he went on, uh, or maybe he was already on it at this point. And uh, I read that he felt that there was a message being said to support teenagers in this movie, and I could definitely see that. Um, Because as you talked about, Jeremy, I mean, teenagers are a a focal point of this movie, and I guess he wanted to... (laughs) reached the youth or talked about the youth. I'm not sure exactly what, um, but yeah, I found that interesting. Um, yeah. He apparently he, made the highest grossing, um, religious film at the time, which is, uh, oh, really Thief in the night. Okay. So that was, was that before this film or that was after. around the same time? Okay. I think a lot mm-hmm. of the film was made with his money. Um, right. So that's from, why he's, from those I guess, films. Okay. So he's uncredited, but apparently had a pretty big hand in this as well. Um, and there is a local connection for me and my brother at least, uh, because this was filmed in and around uh areas in PA where we are where we are close to. So Phoenixville, PA was I guess the main area, Downingtown as well. Um and there's the annual Blob Fest, which we mentioned is is held every every year, every summer. It's a three-day event. And they do that recreation there of the running out of the movie theater. Um, and they actually had the blob itself. We talked about how it's still around <laughs> and they actually had the blob itself on display, uh, there as well. So that's incredible. Just a little, little extra trivia there. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, we also talked about the title, the blob. I mean, it's just so iconic. Um, they did change the title from the glob to the blob. And I think that was, I think it actually worked out even for, you know, better that way. Um, cause it's just so iconic and, uh, And also they apparently the producers were aware of how ridiculous not only the plot of the movie was, but how this title sounded, because they actually wanted comedians uh, like stand up comedians to pick up on this. And I guess talk show (laughs) hosts and things like that. They wanted them to talk about this movie and talk about how ridiculous it was, because that was, you know, to them, it was it was free advertising. So they would essentially get free plugs on national television. So I found that pretty interesting because I you know you you watch this movie and with some of these cult movies you wonder like did they know what they were doing? Yeah.
1: This one almost felt like it felt like they knew what they were doing, but I don't think they knew exactly how right they were doing it. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, like like it seemed like yeah. they, like they're kind of like, yeah, we can make this thing, it'll be cool, but I don't think they realized exactly how, yeah. Cause how perfect it was.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and this apparently the entity itself was referred to as the mass in the shooting script. So So I guess they had to do some brainstorming, kind of figure out what to call this thing. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I I would say maybe it was half and half. Maybe some people knew what they were going for, what they wanted to achieve with this. And I'm sure others were just trying to make the best movie they could, which, you know, it's what most filmmakers end up doing. So Mm -hmm. um, but I think it works. And I think it's it's iconic for a reason. But, um, you know, we're going to do a a separate conclusion, I guess, for the series. But any last things you want to say, any parting words about The Blob? Uh, Dan, we'll start with you. I wonder why they didn't make a uh, sequel sooner. Yeah, I wonder yeah. that as well. All these other films. They, they Especially right with that, that, that ending. Yeah. That ending, I know. <laughs> Actually, isn't there, is not theres there a Son of the Blob? I saw something, some image, but I didn't know if it was maybe just uh, photoshopped or something. <laughs> I should probably look that up. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's from the 70s, I think, though. Beware the oh, Blob really? is what it's called. Oh, Beware 1972,
1: the blob. Beware the Blob. Okay. Yeah. So. It's,
0: yeah. But. Wow. AKA some of the blah. Okay. But still a so, yeah, long so that was time. Until... That's, you know, it's yeah. 14 years. That's what years? I'm saying. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you would have think that but it people would have been like six months later. <laughs> yeah. Like,
1: the, the way they just cranked him out back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, apparently it does. So it starts with, uh, I guess, not the same character, but someone returning to los angeles from the north pole so i guess (laughs) bringing with him a small sample of mysterious frozen substance ah okay interesting that's actually pretty fascinating that that might be a one to check out it took them that long to come up with (laughs) that yeah all right yeah i can imagine them sitting
1: sitting around for 14 years saying how do we get it
0: yeah (laughs) wait a second (laughs) it's still alive yeah you would think of all the money that they made yeah yeah Oh, Dick Van Patten's in it. How about that? Um, yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I, I know what you mean though, Dan. It's interesting they didn't kind of jump right on this because it was such a kind of a sensation when this came out. Um, but I kind of like that it is just its own thing and you know exists in its own time period and uh, like I said, this is very fifties. Uh, the remake is very eighties for sure. So yeah. it kind of I kind of like that. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, we were talking about Equinox. It just shows how much yeah. you can achieve with a small budget. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, actually, I did have the number here. The budget, well, it, it, there's different... <laughs> we'll never know People for sure. People say different things, but... Yeah, we'll never know <laughs> for sure, but the number that, that the I guess they officially gave it on Wikipedia was uh, 110000 so, you know, relatively pretty s- Low budget then, but not film. like the
1: lowest we've seen, but still a low-budget film for the time.
0: Yeah, and box office was four million. So, like like we said, it it clearly caught on. Yeah, good investment. Uh I guess those stand-up comedians talking about the name, you know, maybe that helped too. Who knows? And that song, that catchy, you know, it creeps and leaps. uh, You know, it creeps and it leaps. Yeah,
1: beware. Um, One thing. Um, One thing I just like to call out. Just uh, closing thought here is just, and I have his name pulled up. uh, The the really wonderful cinematography by Thomas E. Spaulding. Um, who who didn't really yeah. look like he it did any other particularly big movies, uh, but the cinematography, especially for a low budget film, yeah. is so beautiful in this. Like like yeah. not even in a kitschy you know campy way no. like it is mm-hmm. the the lighting there were some really cool like um there there were i i can think of one but there were probably more kind of like pov kind of handheld almost shaky cam shots which for that era yeah there was were. really they're really right. bold and innovative like yeah. just even looking at some of the stills of like like i'm looking at this one shot right now um from the movie theater scene when they're all running out of the colonial and the way that mm-hmm. the, the theater is lit up like it easily looks like it could have been something out of an american graffiti you know what exactly. I mean like like it helped it totally in my mind helped define not necessarily define the look of that era because I think by 1958 the look of the 50s had kind of already been defined but I think it helped yeah. define how filmmakers and photographers and painters and everybody down the line looked back at the 50s it, it really just has this, this very mm-hmm. specific thing that is, is super rich
0: yeah it's, it's almost like American Graffiti where it's kind of nostalgic for mm-hmm. that time even though it's still sort of in that time it was that time yeah it was that time, but towards the end of it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's, like, such yeah. an elegance to some of the images. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the uh, shots are played out, like, I guess this was a budgetary reason, but a lot of the shots mm-hmm. are played out, like, wide. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of close-ups, yeah. but when there when there are close-ups, it's, like, very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's mostly, like, more establishing shots or, yeah, like you said, wider static shots. And But when they do focus on the blob or focus on the action, it's it's, you know... Gets you right in there so it's it's interesting i'm actually watching a show on hbo like very up to date 2020 show and i was seeing some parallels actually when i watched the blob to how you know how certain you know like you said certain shots um just have like an energy to them like these handheld sort of uh yeah. or tracking shots things like that so yeah it definitely was sort of ahead of its time um, while also sort of looking back on a certain time period as well so it's sort of timeless too you know i guess that's another reason why um, like jeremy said it's not kitschy at all it's not like it could have easily been Mm -hmm. and it almost seems like it's going to be for a little bit but then it kind of takes another turn it Mm -hmm. veers a different way Um, yeah
1: it's a really fine balance between kitsch and elegance you know like 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 it's fun it's funny enough it's kind of goofy enough that you're not sitting there like Freaking out about it, kind of like the theme song. It's, it's like really the theme song. The theme, you <laughs> we keep you know, going we, back to that. We, well, we talk about how your your opening image or your opening moments of a, a film should really define the whole thing, you know. And and I think this really does a great job of that. A minute or two into the movie, you kind of know what it, the whole thing is about. It's, it's fun, it, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, you can tap your foot to it, but <laughs> they're telling you beware, you know. It's, it really sets you up nicely. Oh, you're
0: saying from even the opening song, yeah. Yeah, the opening song, It sets yeah. you up, you're
1: right in it, you, you get the tone of the whole
0: film right away. Yeah. It's, but I believe so the fun. song was a studio touch, too. Yeah, it, it was kind of like last kind minute. Kind of forced um, upon them. <laughs> right. Well, like, like I said, it was kind of like, we, we don't want this to be too scary now. like <laughs> Yeah. Um, and that's also, you know, like, and that goes in line with cutting certain scenes that they felt were maybe too horrific or extreme. Mm. Uh, so they were, there were smart people behind this movie. You know what I mean? There there were smart yeah. producers and people that they definitely had something in mind they were going for. and. I think they achieved it. They really, you know, the way they marketed the film and we talk about this, if this is intended or not. And I think it, in a, a lot of ways it was. Um, so yeah, it's it's a hell of a movie. Uh, it's, and, and and like you said, it's uh, in that beginning, not only do we get that kitschy song, but we have uh, just that opening scene of the the meteorite crashing and, mm-hmm. and just the fear of the unknown. Like that's that's kind of what wraps up this whole series for me, Jeremy. Like when I think back Uh, starting with Godzilla, going into them, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, Fiend Without a Face, and now The Blob. I mean, that's I was trying to think of what the through line was, and it can't be atomic energy because this last film doesn't have that, doesn't have any radiation or anything like that, but it does have that that unknown, the fear of the unknown, um, and that sort of is horrific in a lot of ways, and I think that's something that, even if we've maybe veered more into certain territories that were a little more... know over the top or could be seen as laughable i think it's always had that at its core all these movies we talked about um mostly trying to understand what we can't understand through elements of sci-fi a little bit more horror i would say with this but Mm -hmm. you still have sci-fi elements there with the alien being and uh, i think we've gotten some outstanding examples of the genre because of this so uh, i think all the films we talked about are definitely worth taking a look at Mm -hmm. whether you're a fan of sci-fi uh, 50 sci-fi, or just want to check out some interesting, unique films that are mm-hmm. saying something, but also really fun to watch.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for me, with with these films, what's so fun is that it's really a rabbit hole, and you know, and we talk about genre a decent amount on the, on this podcast, and um, and and I think that in terms of genre, what's fun about this one is it's kind of a, a bottomless pit. You can really just keep going with these films. You, just when you think you've seen all of them. You know all of these 50 sci-fi films. You'll find another one. <laughs> oh, there's more, and it'll surprise you. You know every every yeah. single one. There, there's a through line between all of them, but there's also new and exciting kind of fun things that'll just kind of mm-hmm. are just are just such interesting little finds in in every single one of them. Um, and for me, the thing mm-hmm. I love about these movies, you know, and you know, for being totally frank, it's not like they're the most dramatic movies. It's not like they're the the scariest movies of all time. But there's a certain feeling that goes along with all of them, and it's it's just a yeah. really fun feeling to be absorbed into, to to become part of the blob, if you will. Um, yeah, it, I don't know. It, it, you it's just kind of go along with them. Yeah, yeah, you you kind of just go along with it, and if you, if you let yourself just get swept up in it, it's it's just such a good time, such a fun thing to watch. It'll really, really, really. Uh, kind of transport you to another place in time that kind of never existed, which I think is cool. You know, yeah. it, it, this, this isn't what yeah. the 1950s were. This is a very specific interpretation of Wait, the what? 1950s. No. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I think is yeah. how a lot of people kind of think of the 1950s. You know, it, it's yeah. it, it's and we've talked about on other episodes through lines to David Lynch. Today we've talked about George Lucas a little bit. And, you know, and, and, and it's cool because the, these films really in a weird way kind of defined... How we looked at what was mm-hmm. a really transformative, you know, th- this is the era that, that came right after World War II, but pre- pre- preceded the sexual revolution mm-hmm. in Vietnam. So it was this really this bomb. kind of in yep. between transitional time in America and the, in the well, in America yeah. and in the world, you know, we, we didn't just watch American films here, but, but the fact that, um, like, that these films, these strange, bizarre artifacts, hmm. were what came out of it, I, I think is a really pretty interesting and, and fascinating thing to look at
0: a lot of it is nostalgia yeah. and like yearning for what came before you know i think you hit it on the head with that cuz like we said the, a lot of these films are oddly nostalgic and kind of um i mean for different reasons but th- this one the blob uh, particularly it, it has has that feel to it um where it's very nostalgic i would say uh for a certain time even though they weren't completely out of that time i i think because things after the bomb i think things became so different and everything was different at that point um and people just were yearning for a simpler time, I guess, Uh, uh, you know, so you see that in a lot of these movies. Um, And uh, they all, you know, these type of 50s sci-fi movies, they hold a soft spot for me. And that probably has something to do with, like I mentioned in the Them episode, in fourth grade, my teacher showing me that movie. Uh, So even from that time, I just always had a soft spot for these kind of movies. And I was really glad we got to do a a series about these kind of movies because, uh, I think everyone should check them out at some point. Uh, they're you know, a lot of fun, and I think they're very memorable films. Um, but that's, I think that's going to do it for us, right? Any, anything else you want to throw on top of that, Dan or Jeremy?
1: Well said. Well said. I mean, <laughs> all right.
0: I <laughs> just want to say thanks to my brother, Dan. Thank you. <laughs> thanks for coming on the show. Hopefully you come on again. And um, Dan is a filmmaker as well. I guess we find him on, what, YouTube? Where we find you. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, check them out. (laughs) Same last name as me. All right. Uh, So, yeah, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, Jeremy, good as always. We're going to talk about a new. Series we're cooking up for next time. But in the meantime, I want to say thank you for listening to Cult Movie Cult. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any cult films you'd like to hear us discuss on the show, or if you'd like to officially join the cult and be a guest on the show, please feel free to reach out to us at cultmoviecult at gmail.com. This has been Cult Movie Cult, and until next time, so long from the other side.